It's been a long time since we were in the book of Acts, so let's recap the introduction of the section that we now wish to explore. Paul and Barnabas have traveled the dangerous road to Poseidon Antioch, lots of cities named Antioch. This one is in Poseidia. On the first Saturday, Sabbath, they went to the synagogue and Paul was invited to speak. This was a common occurrence of the time. If a Jew visited another city, he was often asked to say something. If he was a rabbi, which Paul obviously was, they were allowed to give an exhortation, a mini-sermon, no more than two hours. <laughs> no baseball, no TV, no Facebook. What else have they got to do? And I promise I'll not take longer than Paul. <laughs> so Paul stands and speaks, but he gives the Jews and the God-fearers way more than they were expecting. The promised Messiah had come. The leaders and people in Jerusalem had killed him. But God's further promise that he would raise him from the dead had also happened. And the Messiah was doing something none of them had really expected. Through him, forgiveness of sins was available. Forgiveness of everything to everyone, Jews and Gentiles. Paul also warned, he warned them that this was an absolute belief. There is no negotiating the cross of Christ. This is the way to eternal life. And now, to rejoin them, the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. Everybody is interested in this message of the Messiah, this Jewish Messiah. For probably the first time ever, the synagogue is packed. Everybody wants to hear this truth, this fantastic promise of eternal life. And what was the response of the Jews who had been attending this synagogue every Saturday of their lives? Were they excited that everyone wants to hear the truth of this Jewish Messiah? The synagogue will finally be used to tell the world the truth. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. Jealousy? They're jealous? Hey, what is this? Nobody ever listened to us. And now you new guys show up in town bringing this new thing you call truth, and you tell everybody all we said means nothing. Huh. Well, we won't have it. <laughs> and if... If it's not bad enough that they ignore this truth, they begin to tell lies, to contradict Paul. And when that doesn't work, the insults start. They revile him. They verbally abuse him. So our brothers are forced to declare three truths. Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you. Since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. The three points. One, the people of the nation of Israel needed to be told the truth first. Two, they must bear the burden of their rejecting this truth. Three, now it's time to give the message to the Gentiles. This is the central issue of the book of Acts. 
this odd transition period when those from the old covenant had to make a decision to abandon all their traditions and embrace this newly revealed truth or reject what was promised to them. The sad truth is that many Israelis rejected the very Messiah that they had for so long been waiting. And thus, they gave up eternal life. It's extremely difficult historically to determine how many of them did believe. Records of that day were uh, attacked and changed. And people... So sometimes it feels like most of them did believe and sometimes it seems most did not. One thing is clear, though, this was a tumultuous time. Another thing, eventually the church became primarily Gentile, still is today. Now, we are Gentiles, so we can understand the response of those first century relatives of ours. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed, and the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. The great truth that Paul will so ably defend in his letters, particularly those to the Galatians and Roman churches, that eternal life is available as a free gift from God to all who are appointed to believe, including and especially the Gentiles. Absolute forgiveness of everything through Jesus Christ. You don't need sacrifices. You don't need priests. You can boldly approach God the Father through Christ the Son directly. You. No wonder the word of the Lord spread throughout the region. Now, we're going to consider that word appointed another time. But today we'll look at the sadly inevitable outcome of this conflict between truth and tradition. Well, the synagogue is packed with people wanting to hear the truth of Jesus Christ. But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city, stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas, and drove them out of their district. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. <laughs> They're driven out of town, but are filled with what? Joy. And the Holy Spirit. Amazing. But the point today is, those who will not accept Jesus will oppose those who proclaim him. And they always look for allies in their dirty deeds. <laughs> At the same time, those who believe will have that unquenchable joy. Part and parcel with the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And... As we have often seen, those who believe never really give up. <laughs> They've been driven out of Poseidon Antioch. Now at Iconium, they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. We find throughout the book of Acts that whenever the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, is brought to an area, the first place he is preached is in the synagogues. And always some Jews and some Gentiles believe. I know we've said it before, but it's important. The Jews were critical to the spread of the good news. In fact, most of the early church leaders were Jewish. You see, they already knew the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, 
And those who would believe in Jesus already believed in God. And once they understood their scriptures were all about Jesus, they could quickly learn to teach people of him using the Bible they knew so well. And what about those who preferred their tradition to the truth of the resurrection of Christ? But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. Here we go again. The consistency is frightening. Paul and Barnabas' response? So they remained there for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. What do they do when the opposition mounts? What they were already doing. (laughs) They do what God wants them to do. They preach the word. And God always blesses in some way those who stand for him. In this special transition time, God pulled out all the stops. They were allowed to do many miracles and many came to Christ because of them. Remember, Jews understood miracles. We'll look at the Gentile response to a specific miracle in a moment. But what was the overall response to the teaching and the miracles? But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and some sided with the apostles. That often seems so odd to me. You declare the most wonderful truth imaginable and some are sure you're a liar. (laughs) But hey, Jesus did once say to his disciples, do you think that I have come to give peace on earth? No. I tell you, but rather division. It is a sad inevitability that preaching the truth always leads to division. It's not that Jesus desires division, but he will not abandon the truth. And they sometimes viciously oppose truth. So those who reject this truth in favor of their traditions will be divided from those who will obtain eternal life. Please do not misunderstand. Eternal life is what is at stake here. And alas, those who reject truth in favor of their tradition may bring temporary terrestrial tribulation to those who accept it. When an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, they learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lyconia, and to the surrounding region, And there, they continued to preach the gospel. (laughs) Paul and Barnabas had to flee for their lives. But the minute they got to Lystra, they started to preach again. (laughs) Don't you just love it? And here, a most curious thing happens. Now, at Lystra, there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking, and Paul, looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, Stand upright on your feet. And he sprung up and began walking. And when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in Lyconian, The gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance to the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. Can you believe this vast misappropriation of the truth? How could they do this? Well, it's like this. The Jews understood that God is one. If there was a miracle, it was from him. 
The believing Jews understood that God did take human form in Jesus, the ultimate miracle. These unbelieving Greeks, on the other hand, took their tradition of multiple gods who often took human form, similar to Mormonism today, and attributed this miracle to that belief. But the man who was healed had faith in the true God. So healing him helped him in his faith. The ones observing, conversely, wanted to give credit to the gods of their tradition. What a mess! <laughs> Since they were speaking in a language Paul and Barnabas didn't know, these good men did not immediately understand what was going on. But when the apostle Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd, crying out, Men! Why are you doing these things? We are also our men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways, yet he did not leave himself without witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Even with these words, they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifice to them. Paul uses an argument from nature to try to get them to understand. Would you like some extra credit? The problem shown in this story is well developed in the beginning of Paul's letter to the Roman church. You can read that to further your understanding, if, if you like doing extra credit. That is. But a major point here, something has to be eternal. Things exist, therefore something or someone has to be eternal to cause this existence. When people question who God is, a good starting point is to explain that he is the eternal one. Everything else that exists was made, created, by him. That's a solid foundation for understanding who God is. But back to our story. Did you catch how hard it was to stop these people from doing what their tradition said to do? You see, they didn't believe the truth that Paul was preaching. And you do remember what happens when people hear the truth and reject it in favor of their traditions, yes? And, well... Satan always likes to give them a shove along the path. <laughs> the path that they want to take anyway. And he does just that in this situation. Remember the two cities out of which Paul has already been driven? But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. Stoned him, and then threw him out with the garbage. When truth collides with tradition, there will always be tribulation. When truth collides with tradition, there will always be tribulation. They knock Paul unconscious, think he's dead, and drag him out to where the animals will tear his body to shreds. There. That'll show them to tell us how to live our lives. But Paul wasn't dead. And what's his response to this tribulation? But when the disciples gathered around him, he rose up and entered the city. And then the next day he went on with Barnabas to Derby. And why did he go there? You know it. He preached the gospel. <laughs> 
Remember that old saying, when the going gets tough, the tough gets going? It doesn't mean they leave, it means they get to work. And Paul looks really tough here, doesn't he? But that's not the case. Later, this same apostle, struggling with a physical infirmity that he thought made it harder for him to preach the gospel, thought made him weak, prayed about it, and asked Jesus to take the infirmity away. Jesus did not. Instead, Paul wrote, he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul said, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I'm content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. We can say, look, I'm not all that smart. I'm not all that great. But if that's true, and if what I say cuts to your soul, then you must understand that this comes from the Creator God. You see, it doesn't matter if we're weak. It's not our strength that matters. And even if you have strength, where do you think it came from? If you were born with it, did not God give it to you? If you learned it from experience, did not God arrange for you to have those experiences? And, of course, if his grace gives us power, what we know, it comes from him. So we can be tough, but not because we are tough, because the strength of our Lord is made perfect in our weakness. Guys, guys love being weak. Yeah, I'm being sarcastic. <laughs> it's probably the hardest thing for men to deal with, but it's true. When we are at our weakest, the strength of Christ can be the greatest in us. In fact, our strength doesn't mean jack. Our strength is nothing. And guys, ladies, I'm afraid I can't speak for you. We have to give up on being the man. Yes, we need to be strong. And yes, we need to stand up and oppose wrong traditions with the truth, even if it means we'll have tribulation. But we have to jettison the idea that it's our own strength. We are strong only when we are living Christ. Our weakness is made perfect. In his strength. That's why Luke could write this about Paul and Barnabas when they had preached the gospel in that city and had made many disciples. They returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. Did you catch that? They did the work that God had for them in Derby, and then they returned to Lystra where Paul was stoned. And to Iconium, where they had to flee for their lives. And Antioch, where they were driven out. You'd think they'd be looking for encouragement instead. And in each case, they encouraged the church. And warned the church that holding the truth will conflict with traditions and that will lead to tribulation. Paul and Barnabas had a special commission from God to bring this wonderful new truth of Jesus Christ and the gift of eternal life through him to the whole world. So they could not stay at any given time in any church for very long. Who would care for these churches when they left? And when they had appointed elders for them in every church, 
With prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. We mostly use the name pastor rather than elder nowadays, but in the New Testament, it means the same thing. Isn't it great that God has made a way for the church to be strong? Each of us learn from those who came before us. And yes, from those who make a vocation of study and teaching of the word. Each of your pastors, Jim and Trude and I, have learned from pastors of their past, elders, and from their professors, etc. We are then able to pass that on to you. And then we all pass that knowledge on to those who come after us. And remember... It is the knowledge you pass on. You must know the Bible well to pass on its great truths. That's why we have our Sunday Bible discussion. If you want to come early, you can ask any question. Our Wednesday Bible study and special forces training, should you want to be involved in that, let me know. And is it not exciting to realize that the faith you hold has flowed through a continuous chain that goes back to the church of the first century. Trace every person. When you get to heaven, you'll know every person in between you and Jesus Christ. Isn't that amazing? That's just amazing. It's a thrilling thought to me. Amongst other things, it ought to cause us to take our faith pretty seriously. (laughs) Paul and Barnabas were very serious and cautious about this work. They fasted and prayed before assigning these leaders and before committing the churches and their leaders to the Lord. I believe our little expression of the church, we have a good grasp on the responsibility we have to protect and to project the truth of God's great gift to us through Jesus Christ. And how will it turn out for us? Well, how did this missionary trip that Paul and Barnabas made end? Then they passed through Poseidon, and they came to Pamphylia, and when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Attilia, and from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they remained no little time with the disciples. Paul and Barnabas wound their way back to the church where they started, that other Antioch, the church that had commissioned and funded their mission. They gave them an encouraging report. And then they rested for a good amount of time. I'm sure they were teaching classes to others who wanted to tell the good news, but they didn't take right off on another trip, the main job that God had given them. It really is okay to rest sometimes. (laughs) In fact, not resting is probably a sin. Certainly a tired saint is a saint most in danger of falling to temptation. We all know that's true. So we really should rest for God one day a week and take the occasional vacation from our normal schedule in order to refresh ourselves for the work that God has for us, whatever that is. Let's go back to our central issue, the conflict between truth and tradition. Paul, of all people, understood the struggle of his Jewish brothers. Not long after this trip, he wrote a letter to the Galatian churches where he said, For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. We've been focusing today on the 
conflict that occurs when the truth is presented to those who will not embrace it and choose their traditions instead. Paul was one of those. But he was regenerated by the Holy Spirit. Still, do you think his old ways were completely and instantly eradicated? (laughs) Remember what Jesus told Paul on the day he was converted? Paul, I've been poking you for a while now, and all you've done is kick at the very thing I've been prodding you with. That's Rick's own translation. But let's face it, some of our old selves is still in us. Even though we believe the truth, we often kick at things we shouldn't. That cop's just trying to fill his quota for tickets. Maybe you shouldn't have been speeding. I don't need some doctor telling me how to live. God could have sent him or her. I know how to run church. What is wrong with these people? They have to listen to me. I'm not going to make a comment on that one. Worst of all, (laughs) we kick at those in the church from whom we should be learning. Maybe even the ones we should be teaching. Well, I've done gone to meddling now, so let's get back to the safety of the first century. Paul knew all about this persecuting people because the truth they speak stands against the traditions you hold. He understood. So the tribulation he had to endure didn't particularly surprise him. He knew that we have to keep contending for the faith, even in the face of tribulation. And so did many others. Jude wrote, Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Apparently, those to whom Jude wrote had pulled back from defending the faith. But they and we must not do that. We must press forward. Peter certainly understood this when he wrote, even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. We need to be gentle and respectful, but We need to defend the hope of eternal life that is in us, even if it means tribulation for us. This is how we honor Christ the Lord. We don't need to be afraid or even troubled by the tribulation we will encounter, because even if we do suffer, we will be blessed. What are our traditions? We've always done it like this. (laughs) Those are songs we've sung since I was a child. What are we comfortable with? I once had a woman who said she was a Christian, nevertheless tell me that she was most comfortable around drunks. Because that was what she grew up with and what she married. (laughs) How is it that she didn't stand up to that terrible tradition? What traditions are we comfortable with when we should be speaking against them? The truth of Jesus Christ, creator, savior, born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, was crucified, buried, rose again. He ascended to heaven and one day will return and will give us eternal life.
This truth is diametrically opposed to the traditions of most of those who live in the West, who live in Washington, who live in Westport. But God wants us to be the ones to prod them towards the truth. They'll probably kick and scream and maybe even try to stone us. But this truth is so great, so wonderful, that the joy of telling it is worth all the tribulation we might endure. Especially if even one soul leaves their traditions and embraces the truth thus. Because although it's wonderful to help people escape destructive lifestyles, to get people on their feet financially, to help heal their heartaches, none of that means anything without eternal life. This truth is all about eternal life. And no tradition or tribulation can compare to that. Father, we've seen lots of traditions, even in our own hearts and our own lives. But we see traditions that fly in the face of the gift of your Son and the eternal life he wants to give us. We'd like everybody to have that. Even you said, your heart's desire is that all people would come to you. But, we won't give up the truth. And some will never embrace the truth. We don't know who's who, so Lord, just help us to show everybody. (laughs) Help us to tell the truth to as many as we can. Whoever you bring to us, let us tell them, I'm going to live forever as a God who has always been, who made everything, and made me and you. And that God wants to get us out of our own mess, the mess we made for ourselves. And he wants to bring us to him so that we can live forever in a glorious new creation that he's making for us. Who could not want that? I don't know. Just help me to tell people who need to hear. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We hope that you've enjoyed this message, first heard at Living Hope Church of Westport. If you'd like to support us so we can do more, well... You'll have to work at it. We have no one-click button for giving on our webpage, southbeachhope.org. We are a tiny church in a small town and simply cannot afford either money or time to set up such a thing. But at least with our modern technology and with the help of Sermon.net, we can share the good news with you and anyone around the world. Hopefully, we'll someday be able to worship God together in person, if not in Westport, at least in the rapture.